Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast here with a quick take on the ongoing controversy over Donald Trump's response to the parents of a fallen Muslim soldier who spoke out against him at last week's Democratic National Convention. Donald Trump, you're asking Americans to trust you with their future. Let me ask you, have you even read the United States Constitution? That was Kizar Khan on Thursday night holding up a pocket copy of the Constitution. We're going to cover Trump's response, why Republican leaders are denouncing him, and what it could mean for the race. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover demographics in the campaign. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. And we should just say that if you're new to the show, I'm Scott. And if you don't hear Sam Sanders at the top of the podcast or Tamara Keith, you'll usually hear me. And I believe that after the last two weeks, Sam slept until noon today. Or that's what he tweeted, at least. And guys, we uh, we did shows every single day during the conventions. We said we're not going to do shows every day this week, but it's Monday. We're taping a show. News happens. I mean, yeah, this is one of these things that just kind of ate up the entire weekend. We're still talking about it Monday. We're going to get into why we're talking about that. But fair to say, Domenico, this is a big deal on the campaign trail? It's become a huge deal and frankly is a huge distraction that Donald Trump has created by going after the Khan family, whereas no one's talking anymore about some of the controversies that might have landed Hillary Clinton in some hot water over the weekend. Yeah, and right. it's rather self-inflicted. I mean, this was a speaker who gave, you know, a really powerful speech at the DNC and Donald Trump took it upon himself to put out this series of tweets and has been going after him and it all feels very self-inflicted. Yeah, and I think both of those are kind of big themes that we've seen over and over again this campaign season. So first, let's hit rewind and bring everybody back up to speed on what exactly happened and why we're sitting here talking about it now. So this starts on Thursday night. Kizer and Ghazala Khan spoke at the DNC about an hour before Hillary Clinton. We were there. We were standing right next to each other on the floor, Scott. We were. <laughs> and uh, Domenico, you were probably up in some fancy skybox somewhere. Yeah, I was uh, <laughs> on the sixth floor balcony. It was a stunning speech. I mean, it was a striking speech, and a lot of us kind of sat there and knew that this was a moment as it was happening. Yeah, so just to set it up, they're the parents of Humayun Khan. He's a Muslim-American U.S. Army captain who was killed in Iraq in 2004. So Kizar Khan comes on stage. He's, his wife is standing next to him. He speaks passionately about his son, uh, and he laid into Donald Trump's attacks on Muslim-Americans and specifically Trump's calls for a temporary ban on Muslim immigration to the United States. So let's just listen to probably the most powerful moment of the speech when he, uh, he looked in the camera and spoke directly to Donald Trump. Have you ever been to Arlington Cemetery? Go look at the graves of brave patriots who died defending United States of America. You will see all faiths, genders, and ethnicities. You have sacrificed nothing and no one. Domenico, do you think it's fair to say this was probably one of the most powerful moments of the convention? Well, and there he stood with the Constitution pulled from, from his pocket, and you could see all the restraint and pain that this man felt. And that was absolutely one of the, if not the, most emotional moment of the entire week. Asma, what did you make of the speech as it happened? I mean, look, I think we have 
said so often throughout this election season, what is this election about? Is it about identity? I mean, it often feels like it's about identity and culture and culture wars. And I think that for me, so often what it means to be an American comes down to the rule of law and the Constitution, right? Like if if not for the Constitution, what makes us Americans? Mm-hmm. Because we come from so many different backgrounds. And here was this guy who's an immigrant himself, whose son was not born in the U.S. So that's what he was saying is that ultimately my son would be banned from entering the U.S. if yeah. Donald Trump's Muslim ban were in place. He's lost his son because his son was fighting for the United States. It was a, such a powerful moment because I think it struck a raw nerve of what so many minority communities have struggled with this election cycle, which I think is what is their place in a society or in a country where Donald Trump is the front runner on the Republican ticket and often espouses attitudes and opinions and rhetoric that I think is very problematic for many minority communities. So often in politics, it becomes a game. You know, this attack versus that attack. And Donald Trump likes to talk about how he's a counterpuncher. But in that moment... How someone couldn't sit there and understand that this was a man who lost someone. I mean, his wife and he standing there with their son's photo, you know, twice the size of them in the background. It's hard not for everybody to feel uh, and think about people that they've lost who are important to them. This was their son. And, And I think that would have been a powerful moment that we'd still be thinking about here on Monday afternoon in itself. But the story kind of changed from there. And let's talk about that now. Donald Trump decided after this happened, to go on the offensive, to kind of uh, lash out at the Khan family. So that started with a statement on Saturday, and I'll read that. Well, I feel deeply for the loss of his son. Mr. Khan, who has never met me, has no right to stand in front of millions of people and claim I have never read the Constitution, which is false, and say many other inaccurate things. If I become president, I will make America safe again. So that's statement one. And so then there were these tweets. Uh, The first one that I'm going to read goes, Captain Khan, killed 12 years ago, was a hero. But this is about, in capital letters, radical Islamic terror and the weakness of our leaders to eradicate it. So then, you know, Trump got criticized for the way that he went after Khan and his family. And he tweeted again. He said, I was viciously attacked by Mr. Khan at the Democratic convention. Am I not allowed to respond? Hillary voted for the Iraq war, not me, exclamation mark. And then what really took this to the next level was an interview that Donald Trump did with ABC's show this week. Let's take a listen to what Donald Trump said about Mr. Khan's speech. He was, uh, you know, very emotional and probably looked like uh, a nice guy to me. His wife, uh, if you look at his wife, she was standing there. She had nothing to say. She probably, maybe she wasn't allowed to have anything to say. You tell me, but plenty of people have written that. Uh, she, uh, She was extremely quiet and it looked like she had nothing to say. A lot of people have said that. Uh, and personally, uh, I watched him. I wish him the best of luck. George. What would you say to that father? Well, I'd say we've had a lot of problems with radical Islamic terrorism. That's what I'd say. That's so classic Trump walking to the edge. I, I don't know. A lot of people have said this. I'm not implying it. I, I'm maybe implying it, but I'm not actually stating it as fact. Yeah. But, you know, he's, he's implying. I mean, he's basically hitting on a number of stereotypes that Muslim women are very submissive, not able to speak for themselves. You know, it's, it's interesting. I actually tweeted out a link to an interview that um, Ghazala Khan had done on MSNBC, just saying, you know, she can talk, and here's a link to it. First of all, I thank all America who listen from his their heart to my husband's and my heart, and I'm so grateful for that. 
And my Twitter feed over the weekend became this ridiculous conversation of people debating back and forth the role of a Muslim woman in society. I think this is why Khizr Khan's statement was very powerful, I would say, for a lot of people around the country, is that he, I think, explained that regardless of how you feel about Republican politics or policies, it is inexplicable to say that in the last year, if you are a Muslim in America, you have not had day-to-day interactions that are unreal compared to what happened before a year ago. And I think that that is a factor of Donald Trump's candidacy that is very, very difficult to ignore if you are a Muslim in America. And, and I think when, when we talk about how Donald Trump has has addressed Muslim Americans over the course of his campaign, it's important to point out that this, this temporary ban gets the most attention. But there's been a lot of other things as well. And one thing that really uh, jumped out to me was in the wake of the Orlando uh, shootings. And he had said this before a couple times, but he said it again when he responded. Uh, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, that Muslims knew what was going on. They knew what was going to happen and they didn't say anything about it. And he said it in large. He said the Muslim community basically was aware of these attacks. But Scott, I'll be real. That's something that I have heard and implied and insinuated to me. And I find it horribly problematic that people would think that there's some secretive Muslim alliance. So I don't think that these are things that Donald Trump has said. I mean, I've said this time and again. He has merely tapped into a pre-existing condition. And, yeah, and I mean, you don't have those kinds of you don't have that kind of support if you're not sort of digging up or mm-hmm. stirring up people. I think it's like him throwing gasoline on a fire more than anything else. What's been fascinating to me, though, is I do think that while we've looked at everything that Donald Trump has said and done, you do start to wonder if this is a different thing because I haven't seen this much Republican pushback from some, I mean, you know, some leaders are trying to like walk the line, but I've seen a lot of people who've pushed back to say, I think especially because this was a gold star family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the other dynamic here. And let's listen to the next piece of tape as well, because he's talking about Muslim Americans and making broad insinuations about them. But the other thing that he was doing was basically downplaying the sacrifice that a family made. I mean, their son was killed in a Rock. And Kizer Khan had that moment where he said, what have you sacrificed to Donald Trump? Here's how Trump responded to that in this ABC News interview. He said, you have sacrificed nothing and no one. Well, that sounds, uh, who wrote that? Did uh, Hillary's uh, script writers write it? How would you answer that, Father? What sacrifice have you made for your country? I think I made a lot of sacrifices. Uh, I work very, very hard. I've created thousands and thousands of jobs, tens of thousands of jobs. Uh, I think Those I've are sacrifices? Oh, sure. I think they're sacrifices. I think when I can employ thousands and thousands of people, take care of their education, take care of so many things. You know, most politicians would thank Mr. Khan for being a gold star father and would thank his son for his service to the country and move on Mm -hmm. and hope that this wouldn't fester. But Trump just can't let it go. And And because Khan keeps going on cable news shows and his wife wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post and then, as Asma said, went on MSNBC and said, actually, I couldn't talk because it's too emotional for me to see my son having been killed. So they just like keep going on this, you know, back and forth. And it's just something that Trump is, is winds up in this in this yeah. in this hole. And this comes after a convention where the big takeaways that Democrats wanted voters to have was that Donald Trump is self-centered. Donald Trump picks fights and is vindictive, and Donald Trump doesn't 
love America the way that you and I, I mean, love there America. There was that line in Hillary Clinton's acceptance speech where she said that Donald Trump is a man that you can bait with a tweet. Yeah. And so therefore, do you want him to have access to the nuclear codes, right? But it seems like they couldn't have scripted a series of responses and, and, and days that, that fit more in line with how they were trying to portray him as what he has done here. Yeah. Trump left a massive opening for Democrats when he said, I alone can fix it. And he was able to give Hillary Clinton a chance to create a unifying vision and then using Republican imagery, patriotism, all those flags, General John Allen with a very strong, fiery speech. This is the kind of thing a lot of Republicans who I've been talking to and who I've been reading have just said that they thought that this is a giant missed opportunity by Trump within these two weeks to give over essentially what they feel are traditional Republican symbolism uh, to Democrats. You know what? I think it also troubled some of the more establishment Republicans is it reminds me in some ways of the incident with Gonzalo Curiel, the Mexican-American judge. And that was because Donald Trump was insinuating that this guy is not able to do his job because of his heritage, because of his ethnicity. And this is kind of what he's insinuating here. It again sort of reeks of some of that problematic yeah. stereotyping that we saw with Gonzalo Curiel. And, and, you know, this is a year where Donald Trump has picked fights and beefed with everybody from Pope Francis on down. But that Judge Curiel episode in June seemed to be one of the few Trump controversies that stuck with voters. I mean, he dropped a lot in the polls during that period. Of course, Hillary Clinton also consolidated the Democratic nomination. So it's hard to say how much that had an effect. But that seemed to stick with voters. Uh Domenico, we were just talking about how you hate crystal ball questions, but do you get the sense? <laughs> so I'm going to ignore that. Well, I'm and glad ask you I what. brought mine into yeah. the studio here, Scott. I mean, Domenico, this, this seems to check all the boxes of things that might stick with voters or, or at the very minimum will be fodder for a whole lot of uh, commercials. Let me artfully pivot away from your question and say <laughs> that. We've all been focusing on the fact that there are these two Trumps and whether or not, you know, he's a guy who can be presidential, quote unquote, and sober on teleprompter one minute, but also go extemporaneous uh, at others. You know, Hillary Clinton said in her speech (laughs) that there is no other Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. And I think that incidents like this just give Democrats that kind of fire to say, see, there it is. This is the guy who Republicans nominated. And and I think one sign that this is clearly a a bigger story on the campaign trail is how quick so many Republicans were to issue statements kind of varying degrees. Some of them was like a polite distancing and other uh, and other comments were just outright repudiations. I mean, John McCain had a 700 word statement. This was like longer than some of the stories written about it that uh, that said in part, I cannot emphasize enough how deeply I disagree with Mr. Trump's statement. I hope Americans understand that the remarks do not represent the views of our Republican Party, its officers, or candidates. I think the key question here, though, is does any of this matter to make a difference with some of these folks like John McCain, who still says he's voting for Trump, uh, for a Paul Ryan or a Mitch McConnell, who say that they disagree with Trump's tone and the way he talks about it, but does the anti-Clinton sentiment really weigh out as the main key factor here uh, for a lot of these Republicans, because that's what they're all looking at. Elections are choices, as I like to say. Um, and sometimes people yeah, on sometimes Twitter think you, I say that. Sometimes people on Twitter <laughs> think you together. and I say Elections are choices. Same thing. If you're a new listener, Domenico and I are different people. <laughs> <laughs> that was Scott. This is me. But I do think that it's a very difficult barrier to get over for a lot of Republicans to be able to say, you know, I'm going to stay home or I just don't like Hillary Clinton so much that 
I'm, it doesn't matter what Donald Trump does. And that's why you see the polls are so I will close. say on Twitter, you, you saw responses and I saw responses directed at me towards other people who are fans of Donald Trump, who A, said, well, you know, he criticized Donald Trump first, or yep. this is not even a war that Trump authorized. It's a war that Hillary Clinton voted for. So, I mean, there is pushback from yep. some of his fans still. And I question the degree to which Republican establishment voices have or will have any effect on voters. Rank you know, file voters. Yeah. Yep. And then there was a statement of a whole other kind that we need to talk about, too. And that was the statement put out by Donald Trump's running mate, uh, Indiana Governor Mike Pence. Uh, Asma, could you could you read that to us? Yep. And I think also what's striking is that it came out Sunday evening. I mean, keep in mind that this entire back and forth started a couple of days ago. Uh, so, yeah. So Mike Pence, uh, governor of Indiana who's running with Trump, had this to say. Captain Khan gave his life to defend our country in the global war on terror. Due to the disastrous decisions of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, a once stable Middle East has now been overrun by ISIS. This must not stand. By suspending immigration from countries that have been compromised by terrorism, rebuilding our military, defeating ISIS at its source, and projecting strength on the global stage, we will reduce the likelihood that other American families will face the enduring heartbreak of the Khan family. It's like there's a lot of moments where Mike Pence and Donald Trump are not running the same campaign. <laughs> well, this was like Mike Pence playing cleanup yeah. and saying, hey, Donald, here's how you can respond to this. Here's a good way to do it. And then minutes later, Trump was tweeting about the unfairness of CNN's coverage of this whole thing. So it was just like went out from the Trump campaign, but completely separate from any kind of, you know, uh, coordinated message. I mean, it's worth pointing out, too, yeah. that Pence has a son who's a Marine. And so I do think the way that he would respond to this, particularly around the, the question of sacrifice, is different than how Donald Trump did and would. <laughs> yeah, I, I, Pence would certainly not be talking about his business interests as any kind of sacrifice as a father of a Marine. I, I think a good contrast here is uh, how George W. Bush handled really similar situations. Such a difference, right? Yeah. Uh, you, you might remember Cindy Sheehan. You might not remember. This is this is a gold star mother, and we've been using that term a lot. We should say it's, a, it's the term the military uses if you're a direct family member of somebody killed in war. It started in world after World War One. So this was Cindy Sheehan um, basically camped out across from George W. Bush's ranch and spent an entire summer camped out there because her son was killed in Iraq and, and, and she wanted to confront George W. Bush about it and demand answers for why he invaded Iraq. And and Bush never met with her, but he was asked about her uh, by reporters, and and he took a much different tact than Donald Trump has in, in kind of addressing her criticism. You know, I, I grieve for every death. It breaks my heart to think about a family weeping over the loss of a loved one. I understand uh, the anguish that some feel about... Um, about the death that takes place. Um, I also have heard the voices of those saying, pull out now. And I thought about their cry and their sincere desire to you know, reduce the loss of life by pulling our troops out. I, I just strongly disagree. Yes, yeah, Steve. You're referring to Mrs. Sheehan here, I think. I'm referring to any grieving mother or father, no matter what their political views may be. I think it's a big difference, though, the way George W. Bush wanted to handle this. I mean, Asma, you've talked about how George W. Bush and how he handled 
going to talk at... Um, yeah, shortly after 9-11. He was at a mosque um, speaking about the need, you know, to sort of not ostracize uh, members of the American family that are Muslim. So, so we've, we've mentioned in this podcast that, you know, this is not the first time, this is not the 10th time that, that Donald Trump has said something that's offended a lot of people. That's been the type of thing that no other presidential candidate would say. He, of course, is the Republican uh, nominee. He won it pretty handily. And, and he's been close to Hillary Clinton in a lot of polls, especially the last few weeks. Domenico, it's August now, yeah. less than 100 days before the election. At what point in the fall election calendar do things like this start to stick? At what point do voters start to like actually make up their mind and stick with it? When do they tune in, in yeah. a way? Well, they tuned in for the conventions, for sure. Uh, they will tune in for those fall debates. I remember there were three of those, and those have already started to come under some scrutiny from Donald Trump, kind of threatening not to be in them. Because, because they uh, conflict with the NFL. The NFL schedule saying Hillary Clinton wants to have as, as little viewers as possible. I will say this about the debates. If you are complaining about the debates, timing-wise, how many there are, you want more of them, you're usually losing. So let's just put that out there. And we should also put out there that that debate schedule was set a year ago. It was set before the NFL schedule came up. But I would just say on polling, because everybody keeps asking, like, what's this going to mean? Does it mean anything yet? How do we know which poll is right or not? Like, Let everything settle. And that means about two to three weeks from now, I'd say three weeks, then we can have a better discussion about where things are headed. So I don't need to read any polls when I'm on a beach next No, week. I mean, you, you can if you want to. I'll I'll be reading (laughs) them, but I won't be staking what is going to happen in the entire election on each and every one that comes out. All right. That's it for now. We'll be back in your feed with our big roundup of the week's political news on Thursday evening. Until then, you can read more of our coverage at nprpolitics.org. And of course, you can hear us on your radio, on your local public radio station. I'm Scott Detrow, campaign reporter. I'm Asma Khalid. I cover the campaign and demographics. And I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. Thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.